Good morning, church. As I cough and hack my way to the pulpit, I will go ahead and apologize for those that have to put up with this. Uh, I'm going to try not to cough in the microphone very much. It comes in waves. For me, I don't know how coughs work for anybody else, but sometimes it's like, hey, it's been several hours, I haven't coughed at all. Then other times it's like, I guess I'm going to cough for 40 minutes straight until I want to lay down and die. <sighs> First off, before we start, I want to thank Mike for stepping in two weeks ago. For those of you that, that don't know, we do not, uh, Mike and I don't preach exactly the same way. Mike uh, writes his sermons out, it's very thoughtful, it's like he puts it all on paper, um, it's a great way to do it. I make notes and then kind of talk to them about my notes, which is a great way to do it as well, but it's not the same way. So two weeks ago when Mike stood in, he didn't have much time because I was hoping to be here and my fever didn't break and I felt terrible in the morning, so thanks to Mike for stepping in. And he had to preach using my notes, which are not very, uh, they're notes for me, for my brain, not for anybody else's brain. But he did an excellent job, and I think, uh, obviously, glory to God for that, and I could say the same thing, right? But it's, it's incredible what happens when you work together, and you do have a goal, which is, of course, to communicate the word clearly. Uh, and along those lines, uh, if, if you've been listening to us for a while, we tend to take books and go through them in order. Um, it's great because we learn about the context of things. When it came to Christmas, and we've talked about this for years now, we wanted to, to talk about Advent because it is a very special time of year. Nearly everybody has the notion of Jesus on the brain. It's not foreign this time of year. We're not having to talk about something out of left field. You know who Jesus is, right? There's a big segue about Christmas. It's in the name for Pete's sake. And uh, so we decide we're going to do this a little bit differently. We want to have a common theme. That theme is going to be the birth of Christ and the impact therein. But we're skipping around a little bit, and today is no different. We'll be in, in Matthew 16, uh, and I'm just going to read a few verses um, that we'll use kind of for the springboard today for preparing your eyes for Christmas. Uh, our inspiration, <coughs> well, to some degree, I guess what led us to these messages was a a set of devotions, daily devotions, not uh, uh, study guides or anything by John Piper, just talking about these different aspects of Advent. And I found them to all be really challenging, just there's not enough time to do 25 messages. So we each kind of picked, uh, or we are choosing random ones. I got to do this week, and I'll get to do uh, next week, um, of things that I think are really critical. So last week, Mike preached on the fullness, in many regards, of the word coming to us through Christ's coming. And today is about us preparing ourselves for that fullness. That's the goal. We know it's coming, the Word says so, or do we? So with that, let's go ahead and hop in here, read a few verses, we'll pray, and then we'll dig into this. So Matthew 16, well, just, uh, just a handful of verses there, I think 13 through 17. So read with me if you'd like. It'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible with. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, it's difficult sometimes to even read those words without getting choked up. I mean, if there is one thing that we long as believers to utter to you, it's the words that Peter uttered here. 
Um, and Lord, as we dig into this today, and maybe we're trying to figure out how this applies to Christmas, how it applies to Advent, how it applies to your first coming, and clearly Jesus is addressing him here as a grown man, Lord. Um, I pray that we can uh, set aside whatever we think we know about all this and be able to look at this with fresh eyes today, Lord, and study your word anew. Uh, understand something deeper and more meaningful about it that we can apply to us and those around us this uh, Christmas season. It's in your sons of I pray. Amen. <coughs> so prepare your eyes. Uh, there's a million sayings about this. I've got a couple in here, but it often helps to know what you're looking for. I think we would all agree that if I wanted to be prepared to see something, I should probably know what it is that I'm going to see. I may not be able to know exactly what it's going to look like, a good example of this, I think, is maybe like uh, the solar eclipse or if the president was coming to town or whatever. I know what I'm going to see. I may not comprehend how cool it's going to be or exactly what it's going to look like, but I want to be as prepared as possible. What's the time? What's the location? What's the dress code? How, is there a specific way I need to act? Do I need to get a ticket? All these things need to come together. If I have no idea what I'm looking for at all, that I might not see what I'm supposed to see. I might just think that that was another person. Anybody ever heard of this where like, yeah, yeah, I met somebody. I didn't realize it was them. You know, I was in an airport. I mean, these, these tales come all the time. And I, celebrities, meaning celebrities in the end of the world or, or something that's really awesome in general. But we know them as celebrities because we recognize them. And people have this tale where they were sitting next to somebody who was very famous and they may have wanted to actually talk to them a little bit. But they didn't even realize it was them. And uh, later on they found out that, oh my gosh, I could have gone and talked to that person. I couldn't even do it. We know, we should know what we're looking for. We are blessed with the Word. We have the Word of God in its entirety. All the, the, the treasures that are in that. Thus, we should know what we're looking for. The prophecies of the Old Testament. The miracles of the New Testament. The Gospels of the New Testament tell us so much about who Christ is. After He's off the earth, we have these other books describing what the church was doing earlier on. We know what we should be looking for. And we should be preparing to behold that. <coughs> it's easy to prepare to behold whatever we want. And I guess this sermon is kind of uh, taking aim at this notion that we sometimes choose to behold Jesus, behold the baby Jesus, the birth of Jesus, as something that isn't necessarily what we ought to be seeing. You know, it's a baby born in a manger. Uh, the wise people came and gave him a gift. He's the son of God. That's all fine, but it doesn't really mean anything beyond just a nice heartwarming story that we trot out once a year and remember that, hey, that's right, Jesus is here still, I guess, or whatever, and away we go. We, sh we should be able to do better than that. So a little bit of background here in this passage. So this is just a little snippet from Matthew. Jesus has been traveling and teaching. These are the Gospels. We actually have done Matthew here, um, so you could go back and reference a, a great in-depth. I'll say great in that it was many sermons. Uh, how good it was is beyond somebody else's measurement, but it was a great amount of preaching about Matthew in its entirety. But when we get here, many people have seen his miracles. Many people have heard his teaching. So we could say as Jesus' ministry goes, it's mature at this point. They've been doing this a minute. But what are they really seeing? People are seeing, they're hearing it, the disciples are there, right? And this is where we see Jesus ask the disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, HSV, if you ever see that in my notes, it's the Hecox Standard Version. 
What's the rumor mill churning out about yours truly? Right? What do they say? Hey, y'all, he's talking to his disciples, his close friends. What are you guys hearing about me? Who do people say the Son of Man is? And immediately, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. So why does he ask this? Jesus knows there's a lot of speculation surrounding his ministry. When I say speculation, I mean, you name it, somebody is probably speculating it. And he knows, Jesus knows the disciples are well aware of the speculation. Notice how readily they can give the theories of Jesus to Jesus himself. I mean, it's, it's straight away. Some say John the Baptist. I mean, granted, we don't know. Maybe they thought or pondered it, but I don't think so. I think, who do they say they am? Well, I'll tell you who they say you are, because we're hearing it all the time. <coughs> People that don't want to talk to you, come and talk to us. We hear the murmuring as we stand at the, the, you know, try to keep things in order and hand out food and, and things like that. They're saying that some people say you're John the Baptist. Some people say Elijah. Some people say Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. Now you'll notice the names they list here are not like, some say you're Herod. You know, nobody's saying that these are all good things. These are good things. But they're not who Christ was. That's why this passage applies. Who do you say Jesus is at Christmas? Well, I think he's the son of God. He's a baby in a manger. He was born in a lovely state. Uh, His family had to travel really far. Herod wanted to kill him. I know all these facts. These are all true and all good. But Jesus Christ was not just a baby. He certainly wasn't John the Baptist. He wasn't Elijah. He wasn't Jeremiah. We can maybe say he's one of the prophets and that he prophesied about God, but he's not what the, the prophets are talking about, are prophets of the Old Testament reincarnated. They want to take what they know. They want to take their traditions and their knowledge and apply it to Jesus' good work. I don't want to know the truth of Jesus. I want my eyes to see the Jesus that I want to see. He reminds me of good times, the things that I believe and hold dear. I don't want any correction. I don't want to know that this is going to be a life change for me. I want to take what I've got. I want to add Jesus to it and be able just to, to live a happy, happy life. Yeah, he sounds a lot like one of the prophets. The prophets that I read and know. Great. So nothing new here to see. On we go. But then he asks a big question. Who do you say that I am? Now, church, let me tell you. This, th- this is where the rubber meets the road in every regard. You could go to somebody and say, hey, what do people say about Jesus at Christmas? They will give you a million answers. I know this from experience. Who do people say Jesus is? Oh, some people say he's the son of God. Some people say he was a great teacher. This religion holds him as such. Cool, cool. What do you say Jesus is? And just watch the eyes get real big. Well, I don't, I mean, who am I to say, right? I I don't know that I'm really ready to commit to saying anything about who Jesus is. It ought not be that way. And we know this because Peter pipes up straight away. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, we have heard this myriad times, countless times. In my mind, I would like to think, maybe this is the first time, I get chills, the first time these words were spoken aloud to Jesus. And Jesus says he's blessed because of this confession, and then he tells him why. 
It's not just magic words. And it's not because Peter did something incredible. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. What Peter saw Christ as was not something that Peter rationalized out. This was something new that the Father gave him. God opened his mind. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Folks, that is what we, upon this confession of faith, I extend to you the right hand. This is how it's been for ages, and rightfully so. If you say this and you mean this, if this is the truth, if this is what your eyes see because your heart has, you are saved. You are saved. Saying the words doesn't do it. But what, what Jesus is saying is, you, you didn't know the magic words, Peter. There were no magic words. What Peter uttered was a sign that his heart has been changed. He knows who Christ is. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. They say he's John the Baptist. You made some pretty good points. He is not John the Baptist. Who is he? He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He didn't work it out and earn praise. We can do this now. We do not have, we do not have the luxury, if you will, of Peter maybe saying this for the first time. I don't know. There could have been this. I don't know. But I like the, the notion of this. The other one else is like, the what? I mean, yeah, I guess you're right. He's right. That's true. I've never heard it said out loud, but now that you said it, I agree. In our world today, it's a slippery slope. Because I could bring somebody up your hand on a piece of paper and say, say this in the microphone, I'll give you $10. Say what? Oh, Jesus, he's the Christ, son of the living God. Hey, boom, upon that confession of faith. Well, I don't, I don't know what I said. But at this time, what Peter was speaking from was a deep understanding that transcended his own. Church, if there's anything that I could tell you to, to look for this Christmas, it's a deeper understanding of Christ that transcends your own. Don't just repeat the things that we've said a million times. Don't just think that it's, it's rote and that I've already done all the work I need to do and that I know everything I need to know and here comes Christmas again and then we'll have Easter. It's more than that. It's supposed to be forever more than that. Peter here confesses the truth of God, born of God. I'll challenge you to do the same thing. Well, I can't do it. I don't know the truth of God. Get to work. He's not holding anything back. If you are hearing a message for the first time and you're thinking, well, there's a lot of, you know, I know a lot of these religions, there's like a multiple levels. You've got to be like a third, a third order Christian before you can get access to the truth of the deeper scripture. That's not the case. Um, it would be very lengthy, but I can tell you, we will meet with you and we can read with you out loud the entire Bible cover to cover. No problem. There's no secret society, there's no secret knowledge that, that we, as a body of believers, as Christians, withhold from others. It's not the, that's not our goal. It all comes from God, and God's timing is God's timing. Here was time for Peter to confess to Christ the truth of Christ that came from Christ. Peter is just speaking the truth given to him. But this confession is the indication, as Christ said, this flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. You didn't rationalize who I was. My Father who is in heaven, God has illumined your heart. Peter knew what he was looking for. His eyes were prepared. And when he beheld Christ and was asked, he could clearly say what it was. 
There was no waffling at all. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied. Now, once again, could it have been a couple minutes? Yes, I don't think so. I think he replied. He replied right away. Who do you say that I am? I'll tell you who you are. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Boom. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, did he? My Father in heaven did. Well, wait, that's what I want. You can bet everybody. That's what I want. Wait, so Peter didn't earn this? It's tricky. It's true. Peter did not earn this. Some of our fellow believers and other denominations would argue with me on this. Peter was special. Peter had a special thing. Some of his his work, some of God's work. I'm going to tell you right now, that is a lie. Peter will tell you, when we all get to heaven, and you go ask Peter, what was so special about you? He's going to point to Jesus Christ and say, there it is, he's right over there. He's the one. If you want to know what's special about me, it's Jesus Christ. It wasn't anything that I did. It wasn't my name. Well, your name meant rock. Doesn't that mean something? Ask Jesus. Ask Jesus about that. If you want to talk to a rock, don't look at me. I mean, I'm like a tiny little pebble. He's a planet. A million planets. He made all the, everything we use here, all the examples we use, Christ gave us. We talk about the rocks and the sea and all this. It's creation. The only way to, to, to truly know Christ is via the work of God in us. Peter did not earn this. This wasn't something special. He didn't go through the motions. We can't sort this out or see Christ fully on our own. Heaven knows we have tried as a society, as a church, as a people, as humanity, whatever you like, for a long time to try to figure out how we can take what we want and what the Bible says and just put them in a pot and stir it up enough to where it tastes okay. And we find that that doesn't work out very well. It doesn't taste good. We need to take something out of that and try again. Do we take out what we want or do we take out the word of God? And sadly, what we see is the word, the truth of Scripture, that slowly gets taken out of the recipe. We substitute it with something that looks a lot like it. We use the margarine of faith instead of the real butter, right? You know what margarine is? It's whipped fat. It's not butter at all. But we tell ourselves that it's butter, and we spread it on things. We say, this is so buttery and delicious. This is what we do with our faith. We take things that aren't true, and we try to make it sound true, and then we mix it in, and, we, and here comes these big seasons around, and we say, oh, yeah, I'm a bit, I love Christmas time. I love the songs. I love the trees and the snow and the singing and the, the, the putting on coats and, and opening doors and feeling the cold air and the warmth of the fire. I love all that stuff. But no, no time for Jesus. Well, we go to church on Christmas Eve. And we hold a candle. We sing Silent Night. And uh, we punch our card. I'll tell you whatever you want to hear about Jesus, right? But I can... Package that up and mix it up the way that I want. Say the words. Do the thing. And uh, never have any impact. I know nothing more about Christ. There's no deep, uh, no depth to what I have. And if that's problematic, then you probably think, well, then how do I prepare my eyes? I'm glad you asked. Strictly speaking, you cannot do it. (coughs) Now don't, oh good, I'm off the hook. Eh, It's God's problem. Yeah, well, that's a terrible attitude, right? But strictly speaking, we will not, as evidenced by Christ talking to Peter, be able to fix this on our own. We cannot just do it. 
We're not going to say, well, I'm going to really just go for a walk in the woods and then come back and say to myself, now, now I know exactly who Christ is. After looking at things and thinking about it for a good long time, he is indeed the Christ, the Son of the living God. That will not happen. To prepare, we must study the truth of Christ in Scripture. If you wonder why we, week after week, come in here and we sing songs that lift the Scripture, the, the Word of God in song, and then we stand behind this pulpit and we tell you about the Word of God, it's because it's all we need and it's all we've got. That's it. It's a real simple equation. We have it and we need it. And that's the end of it. Now, can we add things and help clarify? Of course, discussion, iron and sharpening iron, this is all true. But fundamentally, if we do not bring Scripture into this, if we do not know what we're talking about and trying to, to, to get to, if we don't know what we're looking for, we will not see it. And the beauty of this is as we study and as we go through the Scripture, we see the fullness of Scripture in Christ. It... it, it over and over and over again, points to Jesus in every regard. Now, you're probably thinking, that's not true. I thought the same thing. There's an Old Testament. It has nothing to do with Jesus. I said that for a long time. It was like a, it was like a story about how life could have been, how it was so bad, and Jesus came and changed it. Well, there's a lot of things over there that don't seem to have a lot to do with Jesus. But when you start to study it, when you start to understand the context of the Scripture, and you start to read it in its entirety, you start to see that it is indeed about Christ, all of it, front to back. Every single passage is the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. If that's foreign, listen to last week's sermon again. It's exactly the truth. So, the final four. We're going to break it down. Come with me on this little journey. To prepare your eyes, prepare your heart. To prepare your heart, prepare your mind. To prepare your mind, prepare your time. And to prepare your time, prepare your goals. This is going to sound a little self-helpy, but it's not. I swear this is not about you helping yourself. I've already stipulated any of this preparation that we want to do is going to require God to make it meaningful. But for whatever reason, God has given us a hand and being able to participate in the shake and bake of our faith. Here, he puts everything in the bag, and then we shake it. We're like, I help. That's us. So shake and bake your eyes. First, shake and bake your heart. We can look at it that way. So fundamentally here, our hearts will decipher much of what our eyes see. Um, maybe this goes without saying, but, you know, sometimes you see something, and you just get that feeling like, well, I don't like that. That's not, I don't like that. That's not true. That's off-putting, Right? You ever see two, two people uh, kissing in a mall? Anybody, anybody like that? I don't. We have a term for that, PDA, whatever. I don't know what they call it today. Probably not that. But this idea of like public affection uh, on display is off-putting to people. I don't have a problem with people being affectionate to one another, but, you know, if you're going to lick each other's throats, do it at home. I don't want to see it. My heart doesn't care for that. So when my eyes see it, I'm grossed out. I don't want to see it. I'll turn away. I don't like it. If, if in my heart I love that, I might want to watch that. That also would be off-putting for other people. 
These two people making out, this guy over here just watching them. I mean, it never gets better. It's only worse. But if, if it, what we see, will our heart will immediately fire up and let us, oh, I like that or I don't, right? Or I want to make it what I want it to be. I see a message, and in my heart I know how I feel, so I'm going to interpret that a certain way. What I see is going to lie with what my heart is. If we rely solely on our minds, we will be deceived. This is right out of Scripture. If I'm going to think through it, <coughs> if I'm going to skip my heart, if I don't want anything to do with this, I'm going to go from my eyes to my brain, I'll be deceived. Many willingly deceive themselves with nonsense about Christ. This is the truth. I mean, you look at the world around us, you hear what people are preaching and talking about, it's all over the place. There are people now that will tell you that, that, yeah, Jesus, you know, he came to earth and he was good, um, but he wasn't God. He was just really a good guy. And you'll say, oh, so you're not a Christian. Oh, no, I'm a Christian. I've been going to church for a long time. But I've evolved. I understand more. I've rationalized out, right? Because in their hearts, what their hearts want is for me to be in charge. So when they see Jesus with their eyes, they see a smart guy that can help me become a better person. Not God. Not the arbiter of creation. They will not see Jesus at Christmas, but something else. If we deceive ourselves with nonsense about Christ, if our heart is not ready, if we do not have Christ in our heart, fundamentally, we will not see Jesus at Christmas. We'll see a baby in a manger. We'll see good vibes. We'll see thoughts and prayers. We'll see all kinds of nonsense that's not going to change anything. Should you pray? Sure. To a chair? No. To Jesus? Yes. To God? Yes. How? Great question. Let's go to the Word. But just praying, just thinking, vibing, whatever, none of that matters at all. None of it saves us. And at Christmas, we see a whole bunch of people that are lining up. Uh, we had a, 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 I call it a blessing, a concert this week at the high school, and we got to sing Christmas hymns in the auditorium at the school. And, you know, that's a big deal because Jesus' name is, in many regards, forbidden in public settings in many ways because of uh, offense to the other people that don't believe and we don't want to sound like it's a state religion. And I appreciate some of that. But I can't tell you how refreshing and moving it was to stand in an auditorium at a school with students and sing the virtuousness of Jesus. The song we just sung, we sang at the auditorium all the verses. It was great. But did it save anybody? I don't know. Singing it certainly didn't. Hearing the truth of Christ, though, that's different. And here's an opportunity where, you know, if we know what we're looking for, if, if, we're, if, we're, if we're taking the steps to prepare our hearts and understand who Christ is, we might have an opportunity to share something with somebody because I can't believe they let us sing about Jesus. And you say, I know. I'm surprised too. Folks, I was surprised. I'm surprised they were able to say it didn't change the name to, to something else just to be okay. No, they sung it verbatim. So, what, let's prepare our hearts. But to prepare our hearts, we do need to prepare our mind. A mind that is focused on sin and evil will nurture a heart that desires the same. I can speak from experience. If you want to think about all kinds of dark things and you know ways to hurt others or get ahead or... Uh, you know, how to, to deceive somebody into, you know, some sort of a, a, a fake relationship based on a lack of trust or something like that, your heart will start to desire that. Our heart and our minds are 
miraculously and, and hauntingly connected in many regards. We see this, right? We oughtn't let our minds steer our heart. Our minds are deceitful, right? But we need to do something to prepare our minds. We want to see our mind renewed. So we must prepare our minds with what? Once again, the truth of God. We take Scripture. We study Scripture. We do think about it. But Scripture is clear. It tells us the truth. It does not require a very smart person, a theologian or anybody, to take the words of the cryptic text and turn it into something that's digestible by humanity. That's not the case. I want to make this very clear. You do not require my explanation to have Scripture change your mind, your heart, all the way across the board. It can help, and it ought to, but it's also a dangerous thing. If you sit under bad teaching, you know, we've been talking a lot about false teaching because the Bible does as well. You could take something that's full of truth like the Bible, take somebody's cursed mind that's, that's going to, that seeks to deceive, and they muck it up, and they change it around in a terrible way, and now suddenly it's no longer the truth. As we study Scripture and the truth of Christ therein, our hearts are changed. People will say, well, it's a heart and a mind. I mean, what are we doing here? What are we talking about? I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that our minds are irrelevant to the process of our salvation. I'm not going to do that. God gave us a mind. My ability to interpret, hear words, read numbers is critical in my ability to digest the word. We were just talking in our small group about John the Baptist, right? In the womb, turning over, right? I believe that John the Baptist was saved at that moment. I think the Holy Spirit worked in him. And when he came into the, the presence of Christ who was in Mary's belly, he began to react to that, the presence of Christ. It was happening. Right, we can't prove any of that. That's okay. But, but John wasn't just born as like, boom, and I'm a genius. Who has any questions about the word of God? Because I'm saved. I know all the truth of God in its entirety. Lee brought up an excellent point in a small group that towards the end of his ministry in prison, he began to have people try to come and share the, the stories of Jesus with him because he was beginning to doubt. Maybe this is a not working out. Maybe I did it all wrong. Maybe I screwed up. Maybe I went wrong. Somebody come and encourage me with the word. Not with, John, you look great. That beard's awesome. I love those twigs. You smell so bad. I've never smelled anybody stink so much as you. That's incredible. That's not going to encourage him. Tell me what my Lord and Savior did. When it comes to Christmas time, our Lord and Savior came to earth born in a manger. That's true. We should talk about that. But we don't want to talk about anything beyond that. We don't want to use our minds anymore. Oh, I know it. Born in a manger, yes, lowly birth, right? There, the cattle are lowing. There was a drummer boy there, I think. I don't remember, but it's something along those lines, and I don't care about anything else. What I know, I know. My heart's okay. Away we go. I see what I want to see. It's all very connected. But this is grace in action. As God renews our hearts and our minds together, we start to see the words we study change the way we think about it. That begins to alter the way that we desire things. And then when we take our eyes, that are, our eyes begin to take cues from the world around us, if our hearts are centered on Christ and our minds are studying the, the Scripture, the truth of Christ, the fullness of Christ in Word, now suddenly what our eyes start to see takes on a different approach. We start to see the lost, the hurting, the pain at Christmas. Those that don't know who Jesus is are going through the motions, who don't want to do it anymore. They've had enough. Christmas is painful for them. It reminds them of awful things. Horrible situations. There's no grace and glory in the holiday of Christmas for them. 
But they don't dare bring it up because they don't want to ruin anybody else's holiday. You ever sat at a church service, heard somebody say, oh, here comes Christmas again. What was us? All the overeating. Way more deaths between uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas. This is true, folks, statistically. Anyway, let's pray. Nobody talks about that because it's depressing. But it's true. Holidays are stressful. We spend way too much money. We do all of this stuff, and none of it has anything to do with saving faith in Jesus Christ. So how do we prepare our mind? Prepare our time. Time flies when you're having fun. Anybody ever heard that? I have heard it. I've said it. I believe it to be true in many regards. I get distracted, and I watch the hands of the clock just spin around. This season can zoom by if we allow our time to be wasted. It is a great time for family and friends. So I'm not saying that doing holiday things is a waste of time. Going to concerts, going to see lights, visiting people, shopping, celebrating, singing Christmas songs. I'll confess, I love Christmas time. Very positive memories for me. I like all the Christmas music. I put it on as soon as I can. All that stuff. Very heartwarming for me. Very nostalgic. Very traditional. It's not because I feel like it's drawing me closer to Christ in every regard. That's not the case. But it is a warm feeling from, a, from my youth. A time that was simpler in many regards than life is as you get older. But I must make time. We must make time for God's miracle during this season. And when you see something like God's miracle, I chose that phrase specifically. You're going to see that on slides and hanging on banners. What do people say God's miracle is? Oh, it's the birth of Jesus. It's uh, his coming in a manger. Who do you, what do you say God's miracle is? Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know that I really have a miracle. Ooh. Right? Now, it's not the same question. I'm not trying to say that it is. But when we talk about taking our time, if you don't know what God's miracle is. You need to make some time to figure that out. Have an answer for that. If you want to call yourself a Christian and somebody asks a question like, what's God's miracle at Christmas? Who do you say that Jesus is? And you don't have an answer for that? You've got to fix that. I don't know what else to tell you. I'm not saying just spout off what, what, what oh, here's what Peter said that he is. That's not what you said. Now, it could be the same thing, but be ready to talk about that. Oh, I don't know. Well, then study the Word. Well, I don't have time. Prepare your time. Take the time. Even if it's just an hour a week, start there. Get in the Word. Come to church. For somewhere between 30 and minutes and two hours, you're going to hear the Word from me-ish. That's better than nothing, right? So take some time. Make some time. Well, I just, the time is tough. Well, if you want to prepare your time, prepare your goals. Now, it sounded like, I told you it wasn't going to be self-help, but I hope I've walked through this. Every one of these things, you want to organize your time better? Get in the Word. Take time for the Word and watch that you'll start to make more time for the Word. And I'm not talking about this. It's true, you can see these blessings. People talk about, oh, I read the Bible for two hours, and I swear only 15 minutes passed. I'm not talking about that. Spend two hours in the Word. Watch two hours go by. That's fine. Will God give you two hours later in the day for leisure? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe two hours later will be spent on the side of the road waiting for a tow truck. And when the tow truck driver shows up, he's got puffy red eyes. You say, is everything okay? And he says, no. I was just in a huge fight with my spouse, and I had to come in here and get this tow. And quite frankly, it's just Christmas is terrible. And we, it's just one of those things. And maybe you get to talk to that guy about who Jesus is. He says, Jesus? Who's Jesus? 
And you think to yourself, that's what Jesus asked Peter. What am I going to tell this guy? Well, he was a baby. No, I better not. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. This guy's eyes get big. You never know. But if you are not ready to do that, and you just want to get your car towed, because you're in the Word, and you're not, you're not in the Word, you're not ready, you have no goals in the Word, you don't have time for that, your heart's not in, has nothing to do with what you're, you're, you're everywhere else. And you're, in your eyes shows up a tow truck driver who seems like he's in a bad mood. Well, me too. Let's go. I got someone to come pick me up, but they said I had to stay with the car. What do my eyes see? A burden, suffering, waste of time. If I had my goals right, if my goal was to know Jesus better, to be able to spread the good news at Christmas, then I would have time dedicated to, to understand better how that's going to work. That's going to start to affect the way my mind is thinking. I'm going to spend time in the Word. I'm going to be considering those things. It's going to be fresh in my head. My heart's going to start to long to share it with others. That will happen. But then when suddenly my eyes now behold a person created in the image of God that is dying to know who Jesus is. Isolated, alone, sad, hurt at the holidays. Not happy. Not excited about Christmas at all. They're pushed further away from Christ because everybody else loves this holiday so much, but not me. If you don't know where you're going, you'll get there. If you have no goals regarding your, your faith, your journey, where you stand with Christ, how you want to approach your faith, your belief, you're going to get there. Mark my words. If you've got nowhere to go, then you're where you ought to be. If you have a goal to draw closer to God through His Word, your time will trend that way. If my desire is to know Jesus better, if that's a goal that I have, then I'm probably going to take time to do that. And when I take time to do that, I'm going to start to learn my brain will absolutely take in the things that I study in that time. And that will begin to change my heart. And then when I see the things of the world, when I see Christmas time roll around, I'm going to have a different perspective on that. If you ever talk to anybody that's been saved by Christ, you're going to hear the same story. Especially those that have these miraculous salvation events from a horrible situation or lifestyle. Right, where they were maybe drug addicted or in a terrible abusive situation, they, they're pulled out completely. They see things totally different now. Some people turn their lives around and begin to do full-time ministry back at the thing that was destroying them, that they know is destroying others. Likewise, though, if you have a goal to make the best hot chocolate, your time will trend that way. Come home and spend two hours every night perfecting your hot chocolate recipe. That's what you'll spend your time doing. That's my goal, the best hot chocolate in the world. Well, that's what you spend your time doing. And guess what you'll be doing in your time? Taking that brain of yours and researching different types of chocolate, different types of salt and sugar. Oh, there's so many. There's myriad choices here. Maybe a little bit of honey. More time. Learn more about honey. I learned a lot about the different sweeteners. Why? Because in my heart, I want to make the best hot chocolate. So now when I see people, and, and anyone that's ever had a hobby or a passion, tell me I'm wrong. But your eyes start to see things, Right? Ask, ask Mike about going to Target and walking through the clearance aisle. His eyes see things there that mine don't see. He's a Lego guy, right? He'll, stop, he'll probably walk through and like reach through several boxes. Why? Well, I saw the corner of the logo. I know the logo so well. 
I may have hit that box two weeks ago. I don't know. But here it is. And look, it's on clearance. Now, I'm not... Same for me when it comes to the tools and computers and stuff, right? When you know what you're looking for, you tend to be really good at finding it. If your goal is to find great deals shopping, you're going to spend time clipping coupons and doing all this stuff. If your goal is to make Christ preeminent, then you're going to take time to figure out what that means, be able to answer the tough questions, be able to speak eloquently and elegantly as you can to to be kind and compassionate to those that maybe don't see Christ as a friend. Maybe they see him as an enemy, a cosmic you know, uh, arbiter of, of discipline and suffering and, ju- and judgment. And when you say, well, in some regards, he is the arbiter of that, but he gave us a way out from under that. We do well to set a goal to keep Christmas firmly centered on Jesus Christ. There's a line in a Christmas carol, and I don't want to extol the Christmas carol as good theology. It's kind of nutty. But Scrooge says to his nephew, you keep Christmas in your way, and I'll keep it in mine. And I love this line. I think it's very deep in the way that many of us approach it without saying it. We don't act like Scrooges. We act like fake Christians. But we say that same line Scrooge said to somebody else when someone comes at us. Listen, you keep Christmas your way, I'll keep it mine. There's a meme that I like that's kind of in some regards, abrasive, but it says, you worship God your way and I'll worship him his. When I think about that line from A Christmas Carol, I would like to say, what I'll say to you is, you keep Christmas your way and I'll keep it Christ's. Now, that should make somebody say, what's that supposed to mean? I don't know. But based on what I understand, you're not keeping it Christ's way. Now, this isn't the kind of thing, let me be very clear here. If your neighbor's out hanging Christmas lights, don't go out on your driveway and say, hey, neighbor, you keep Christmas your way and I'll keep it Christ's and turn and go into your house. That's a terrible way to say hello to your neighbor, first of all, and it's not very Christ-like. But if somebody comes to you and says, listen, I am, you're talking and they're like, well, you know, that notion that Scrooge had is the notion we oughtn't have, which is I'm doing it my way and you're doing it yours. I don't want to do it my way. Don't make a goal to make Christmas your way the best Christmas it could be. I'm I'm doing it my way, and my way is sort of God's way. Do it God's way. So what about us? Let's be prepared this Advent season. Talked a lot about preparation. Goals, time, uh, mind, heart, eyes. Don't let Christmas slip by without taking the time to appreciate the miracle of Jesus' birth. Folks, it's a miracle. I hope nobody ever thinks. As you hear Mike and I talk about like Christmas things, and it's like, man, they just go right to Jesus' work and his death. And, and like, well, that's really, really, really important. And there's been, I've heard so many messages about the story of Christ. Walk into any store right now at all, and you'll see a nativity scene, a depiction of Christ's birth in some form or another. There's usually some animals, a baby in a manger, a couple people kneeling beside them. Maybe some men holding gifts, depending on the kind of date. Everybody knows that. Those things are made by a company in China in a dye press machine or something by folks that may not have any idea who Jesus is. But they're churning this stuff out to sell it here because people like the notion of a baby Jesus in a manger come to earth in a lowly state for all of us humans to save us. What does it mean to save us? Well, I don't know, but I just love this. I just love this idea of a nativity. Folks, I love the nativity. 
I love the idea that Christ came in the way that he did. No pomp and circumstance at all. His, his 100% man part of him, his 100% God part of him come together in the most unlikely way by being born in an absolutely nightmarish scenario. But the miracle of his birth is amplified by his sinless life and death on a cross. The miracle of his birth is really only a miraculous thing if he lives sinlessly and then dies as a criminal. That's what makes the birth miraculous. Elsewise, it's just a birth. I hate to break it to you, but there's countless people being born right now in conditions just like Jesus. That's not miraculous. They are not saviors. They will not live sinless lives. They will not die innocent deaths. Christ did. Because he did, his birth is a miracle. Because of that miracle, I am set free. That's a miraculous birth. Let's prepare our eyes for Christmas together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this time of study. I thank you so much for a Christmas season where everybody is aware of Jesus. The name of Jesus is being uttered and spoken by folks that maybe don't say his name outside of cursing it uh, throughout the year. Lord, I pray that we don't overlook this opportunity not to be hardline believers and abrasive to those that are seeking the truth and are hurting and lost and isolated and alone, but that we can approach them where they are with good news. That the name that they're singing out, that's a real name. That man, Jesus Christ, is alive. Well, he's not God. No, he's alive. He was resurrected. He is at the right hand of the Father, fully God, fully man, still there, alive. Yes, he was born in a manger. It was a, it was a miraculous birth. Angels appeared. They heralded it. People came. They knew something was up. They had, couldn't have had any idea how it was all going to end, Lord. Lord, I am so thankful that we know. We know the fullness of the good news. The fullness of your scripture, Lord. Help us, Lord, to prepare our goals this Christmas season to be focused on you. Lord, help us then to prepare our time to, to be able to do the things that we need to do. Witness to others. Care for others. Study the word. Learn about you. Draw closer to you with our time. Through that, Lord, we know that our minds will begin to be renewed. As we use our minds to study your word, as we use our minds to, to engage the world around us, Lord, our heart begins to change. We begin to hurt for those that are lost. We don't worry as much about gifts and decorations. We don't worry as much about all the places to go and things to see and do, Lord. We start to worry about the people that need to know the truth. And as our heart changes, Lord, suddenly our eyes look around and we don't necessarily see a world that's at perennial peace like a Norman Rockwell painting, Lord. We, we, we see a world that is lost without you. We see people going through the motion and feigning that they are okay and that Christmas is wonderful and that Jesus is alive in their hearts, but they don't know. They don't know the truth. And if they do know the truth, they are squandering it, Lord. I pray that's not so for us, Lord. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for this challenging word. And Lord, help us to open our eyes and be prepared this Christmas season. In your sons, I pray. Amen.